Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, misborn and shard bearers, to another episode of The Keepers of the Book. And today we have something really special as we finally come to an end of The Way of Kings, the first book of the Stormlight Archive. Now, um, previously we had intended on going, I think, from chapters 48 to 52. Uh, so and I understand that, like, not everyone listens to the TV show episodes and maybe not everyone has the uh, follows us on Twitter as well. So we will cover 48 to 52 without spoiling anything that comes after that. Then from there, we will do the entire book. I will warn you because we're covering so many chapters today, the coverage for 48 to 52 will be shortened accordingly so and we've already been kind of doing this for a while now where we're not going chapter by chapter like as in giving detailed summary anyway so it's going to be a brief talk about the big stuff that happened and then you know stuff that stuck out to us and yeah we'll move on quickly so um shalan was uh basically brings the axe down right uh like her her plot line really starts moving um man i shalon was she kind of surprised me uh with her actions or uh, yeah i think I, I, I was i'll be honest with you i did not think that she would actually her whole you know escape with the fabrio I did not think that she would actually go through with it this book. I honestly thought that the book would end and she was still with Yasna. And I thought it would be next book. And the reason I thought that way is because I was told for many people that if book one is like the book of Kaladin, then, or Dalinar, I guess, a kind of a book of Kaladin and Dalinar, then book two is mostly Shallan's like growth. So I, based off that uh, preconceived notion, I just, you know, thought that it was going to be uh, a Shalon, like just writing it out with Yasna till the end of the book and then bringing the hammer down next book. Um, why, why, what made you think that? I just said because it's um, uh, people had said that, Shal that book two was more about Shalon's growth. Oh, you said book. Okay. So I, I actually didn't expect. There's a lot coming up that I didn't expect to happen pretty much at all. I mean, Shalon, I, and I didn't, I'm not privy to that information that, you know, I don't know what forum you're on, but I have no idea what was going to happen. So I figured it'd be a mix of both. And then maybe the next book would be more so uh, directed at a character. Okay. Um, I think it, it, he still does POVs for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think. Uh, to my understanding, anyways, that book two is very much Shalon focused, whereas this one was more Dalinar and Kaladin. I'd say kind of fifty-fifty on Dalinar and Kaladin, and then a uh, much shorter uh, emphasis on Shalon. But anyways, last time we left off with Shalon um, pretends to commit suicide uh, by cutting herself with glass, and she wakes up in the infirmary and. Her little guy, her little ardent friend, Kabsal, comes in 
and gives her like you know some bread and jam and he's very insistent on the jam part so when he, when i saw this i was like well right. yasna was also in there as well yeah and kavso is up to something uh and he's very insistent on i think he was very insistent on both giving shalon the jam and having yasna try the bread as well if i remember correctly well i'm pretty sure there there was a reason for both Yes, um, and we know that later that you know Kopsol's dead, and yeah, it's not not great, guys. Uh, the so do, I don't remember. Did you think that Kopsol was bad, or or did you just think he had an ulterior motive, or not either of those things? I think the basis of my conclusion of Capsule was that he had ulterior motives. I didn't necessarily think he was a bad person, but obviously, you know, I've proven wrong. But again, I just thought he was, he had ulterior motives for the church. I didn't think he had ulterior motives to start killing people because most Ardens shouldn't be looking to kill people. Right. Um, so anyways, she gets, uh, she starts passing out. And she does that. Um, oh, okay. Well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to have to. If, or sorry, if I'm going to want to live, which apparently Shalon does, she does want to live, uh, she needs to tell Yasna that she has her soul caster. So basically, revealing her entire plan to Yasna to save herself. Um, because if she, if she didn't, there'd be no yeah, way. Oh, they'd be dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% dead. Um, and I'm just going to continue with Shalon's storyline for this section that we're discussing. And then she wakes up again in a hospital room. I, I don't know if she this was... This girl has poor luck, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, man, her medical bills must be crazy. Uh, and so she wakes up again, and then at this point... Uh, what's her face? Yasna tells her that Kavsel is dead. And it's because he had... He had eaten the bread, right? My question is, why why didn't he have the antidote himself? Wait, actually, I think we lied. I think the antidote was in the jam. No, no, no. That's fine. But be that as it may, how did he die to his own poison? Like, Oh, you're saying, why is he that... Yeah, why, why is he, he that why is dumb? he that dumb that he yeah. died to his own didn't poison. antidote himself beforehand? Yeah. Um. So there, there is that, and so, okay, why was it that he needed to kill Yasna then as well? And that's another question, right? So first of all, <laughs> terrible assassin. Uh, he died to his own poison. Second of all, why did he need to kill Yasna then? Is it because he knew that Shalom was leaving, and for whatever reason in his plans, he needed to get kill Yasna at that moment? Was he maybe hoping that if he kills Yasna, then he can convince Shalom to stay because now there's a mystery to investigate? My thought process is that since he, because he knew she was leaving, maybe that was his only way directly to Yasna. Because I mean, think about it: Yasna barred him from really seeing her ever right so like maybe that was his only chance to have that interaction 
Okay. Okay. Because, like you said, didn't he seem kind of very exuberant about giving her that bread and jam, like, right now? Yeah, yeah. No, it could be. So, as far as Kaladin, so that's basically it for Shalon's thing there. She's very, uh, Yasna's obviously really annoyed with her and just kind of leaves her and is like, you know, no one will ever take you as a ward. Uh, as far as Kaladin, he is training the bridge crew to eventually plot an escape. There's a lot that goes into that. I, just, I, I find most of the details to be kind of, okay, you read them, you got them. It's more of just filling it in and then nothing serious there, in my opinion. But there is well, they one didn't really more... make any big moves. Like it's not like they stole something big or bribed a guard or there was no interaction. It was just plans. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in this, there is one flashback chapter, and this is one that I actually really liked. Uh, Kaladin ha- wins a shard from one of the shard bears. It's a shard blade, and uh, he doesn't want to take it because he's afraid that it's going to ma- turn him into a light eyes, and he doesn't want that. Because he hates Lida so much. And then Amaram comes in and slaughters his entire squad in front of him. And brands Kaladin the slave. And he was going to kill Kaladin too. It just so happened that Kaladin saved Amaram's life. So in exchange for that, he doesn't have him killed. But the reason he does this is because he needs the story to motivate his troops that Amaram won the shard blade himself. Dude, that this this whole scene, this whole chapter shook me yeah and that's the backstory we kind of needed to understand why kaladin doesn't trust anybody or anything you know what yeah. i mean yeah and, and if you guys remember um amaram was one of the ones that he actually thought was a good light eyes remember he had said that amaram was uh the actual honorable one he was very truthful and whatnot and actually stuck by his word uh it, not really. Uh, yeah, yeah, not really. Uh, so it's one of the. I guess it's one of those situations where the don't meet your heroes uh, scenarios. Um, yeah, close enough. But that's it for the Kaladin, and then final chapter that we'll be covering here. I guess we will talk real quick about the interludes. Uh, I don't really know about the two interludes. I, I got nothing. But there is one again about Zeth. And Zeth at this point is in Jakaved, and he kills a king there. He's and, murdering people, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, oh yeah, he he's going on a rampage uh, again. I, it's assumed that he's doing it uh, out of you know because he's ordered to, like not because he wants to, obviously. Yep. Um. So he kills. He's killing all these people, and. It's assumed, it's implied that he, he's not done, that there is another person that he's going to go after. Uh, you know, for those of you guys who don't, haven't played this game, you won't understand it, but Witcher 2, the beginning is just like that. And I got massive Witcher 2 vibes from this. In the beginning of Witcher 2, and it's, like, it's the opening cutscene, by the way, so it's not a spoiler. Um, oh, yeah, in the opening cutscene, and you can actually look this up, it's a really well-made cutscene. Um, it's the Assassin of Kings, and that's the name of the Witcher 2 game, the Assassin of Kings. The Assassin of Kings goes after this one king that's on a boat. And just the way he does it is just really cool, really agile. It's a really slick cutscene. And then that's what sets the stage for the rest of the story. And I felt like this interlude just kind of really played into that. 
Um, I agree. I was not and, really on with the interludes at the beginning of the book. I thought they were cool, but now with this interlude and then just the vibes that I got with the Witcher 2 intro, it felt like that, where it was just kind of like setting the scene for the rest of the world, so to speak. So you kind of kind of see the corruption mm-hmm. growing around the world. Like, oh, okay, so these different kings from all these kingdoms are getting killed. And I, I don't think people understand how big of a deal that is, right? Like, we're, thankfully, living a... Uh, a world where we don't have kings, right? We have, for most countries, we have elected officials one way or another. So if somebody dies, it's like, all right, just appoint the next person in line. In these medieval type settings, when there's a king who just dies, especially in that type of scenario, it causes a lot of chaos and confusion because you start questioning, okay, well, who killed him? Right? Was it And for what reason? Yeah. Was it his son that had his father killed so that he could become a king? I mean, that is a simplistic way of looking at it, but it does, you know, assassinations are uh, garner massive headlines in today's world, right? Could you imagine back then to a king who the entire kingdom revolves around? Right. So this is this is a big deal for sure. But anyways, uh, final chapter that we'll be covering for chapter 52. And then again, warning after that, we will be covering the rest of the book. So. Uh, if you have only read after 52, which was the original uh, plan, uh, listen to this and then hop off. So Dalinar has another one of these uh, visions. And I'll, I'll be honest, I actually like these visions. I'm not a big fan of visions or dreams in most books. Um, I mean, my God, the last series I read, uh, Wheel of Time. Well, I guess Mistborn was the last series. I, I really want to read the Wheel of Time now. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I will warn you, and this is the exact example I was bringing up for Wheel of Time, was that their visions and dreams and nightmares sequences, they're very repetitive. There's like, in fact, there's like two that happen almost back to back. Like there's a nightmare chapter, then there's a regular day chapter, and there's a nightmare chapter again. And then two nightmare chapters are almost, as far as like the events that happen in them, they're basically the exact same thing. Um, And then... Yeah, I just found that so frustrating. Um, I, it, it seems like filler episode and not even a filler in the good way. It's just like filler in the bad way where it's like basically the exact same thing as a previous filler episode. Um, but regardless, this is not one of those situations. Dalinar is transported again back in time to seemingly the era of the Knights Radiant or what will soon we will come to find as the end of the Knights Radiant because now we see that all these Knights Radiant have uh, essentially just stabbed their blade into the ground and they're walking away. They've all quit. They've all abandoned their post. Um, And this has come to be known as the Day of Recreance, which, by the way, that is a beautiful name. That name is just, as far as epic fantasy goes, it doesn't get much more epic in terms of title than that. Um... I mean, can you name another one? <laughs> the um, the Oath Pact. I don't know. See, all this stuff comes from the Stormlight Archive. It's just such epic, like titles for things. I love it. Right, and I, you know, I don't know. I've always thought shard blades. I mean, I even made one of my characters in one of these video games that I play yeah. into Dalinar Colin. So like, it's just so cool. 
Yeah, no, no. The, the concept of shard blades and whatnot, it, it is really cool. And the same thing with shard plate too. Just the concept that there's no interlocking stuff. It's all just plate armor. That's just cool. Uh, but I, I will tell you guys, um, I listened to like a lot of this on graphic audio at the ending, um, including these chapters and the voice who does, um, the almighty, uh, the one he keeps saying, you know, unite them, unite them. It's, it's a pretty epic voice. It's very epic. And for those of you guys who are listening along to just the end of chapter 52, um, and then hopefully you guys will come back to listen to the end, uh, the rest of the book. Uh, there is going to be a lot more chapters with that. So I, if, if you decide like, hey, I've read, read up to chapter 52, I want to experience a graphic audio, I highly recommend it because it is, it's very epic. The voice that they do, it, it's fantastic. Um, and especially if you have your headphones on and whatnot, and just like the, what is it? Almost, if you got a good subwoofer, a good uh, a sound system with a good bass, oh my God, it, the, the vibrations just, you, you, it feels like it's God talking. It's just, I guess that's the best way I could put it. it. Yeah, I don't listen to the graphic audio. I still listen to the audio version of it, and still the man's voice is very oh, like, it still, you know, it still seems ominous almost. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, I might actually give that one a try too, just to see how it looks or it sounds on that. Um, but that will do it for chapter 52. So again, if you've read the rest of the book, stick around. For those of you who read chapter 52, go ahead and pause here and come back whenever you've read the uh, finish The Way of Kings. And then, you know, you can listen to our thoughts after that. But if you don't care about spoilers, then you know what? Also stick around because we are starting now. This is your last and final warning. So chapter 53, all the way on downward. Um, again, th there's a lot of chapters to cover here. It goes from chapter 53 down, I think, like 75 or 78. Yeah, there's and, a lot of chapters. And the epilogue. So we're not covering chapter by chapter. We're just going to be covering the major, major plot points. Uh, so who do you want to start with? Because I think we should go character by character. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, let's go ahead and finish off Shalon. I think because hers is the shortest as far as like what comes of it. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. So Shalon, uh, she confronts Yasnan and tells her, listen, I stole the Fabrio. Yes, but I did not steal it because someone hired me to. I needed it because my family, blah, blah, blah. Explain the whole thing. Yasnan did not agree at one point, but she ended up like, you know, uh, capitulating because yeah, I, I don't know, and I don't remember all the exact detail, but to prove her point, Shalon uh, starts drawing a picture, and then Ayasna says, like, uh, you know, that that's not true. Shalon jumps back into that, and what we know to be the Shadesmar, which yep. is like... The like cognitive realm. Yeah, thing. it's it's like cognitive realm, but it's weird because it's all it's a bunch of beads, like black beads, I think, or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's and Yasna I think gets her back, and she's like, "That was very foolish." So that implies that it's very dangerous as well. And I don't really know why, at the moment, by the way, because I don't know. It it 
if it's just a bunch of beads, I imagine that that there's is there a monster hunting within the cognitive realm within Shadesmar or something or what what is it? I mean, maybe it's more so like if you run out of stormlight, you get stuck. Like your consciousness Ooh. gets stuck or your body gets stuck. Okay. Um, okay, that that's interesting. Um, so. So Shalon also tells her that she knows that Yasna can soul cast or yeah, soul cast without soul caster. And she concludes that Yasna Soulcaster was also broken. She was faking using it, which is confirms because, you know, we were wondering why is it that Shalon could not channel? Is it just because she's not doing it properly? I mean, she even read a book um, on how to do it and she tried it and nothing worked. So that means Yasna can soul cast without a soul caster, which makes her basically like one of the Knights Radiant, by the way. Well, and I think. Is it? I, th- I always thought it was more. I thought it was part of like the set of powers that were on, um, that were on Roshar. I thought that was just. I thought soul casting was part of the set of powers. Right, After explaining but I think this, it seems like uh, most it, the magic was lost, right? Like because the whole surge binding thing, people haven't seen. So if that's the case, then that means the only magic that soul casting has allowed people still connection to magic. And then, sorry, I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. And the magic was lost. And again, they can only soul cast with it. And the people who can do without it is just unheard of. And Yasna being one of them is, I guess, concerning. Because again, I think they're implying that she that, that this was the power of what the Knights Radiant had. That they could soul cast without a soul caster. Yeah, and they're still like it's not like I wouldn't say but her, but they're more still like um they're still afraid that the night radiants are gonna leave them, I guess. Yes. Well betray them. Yeah, yeah. Well they hate them because they left them, but there's no one left to leave, right? The Knights Radiant are dead. They're well not dead, but they, there's not any of them anymore. Right. Um so Shalon also says that, like, you know, you had soul casted the the jam, gotten rid of the the poison. I'm sorry, the antidote, which is why it did not work with Kapsol. Right. Yasna is the one that soul casted, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and then I think she soul casted the blood too. Didn't she say something like blood is harder to soul cast than strawberries or something? Who had said that? I'm pretty sure Yasna said something that strawberries were harder to soul cast than blood. Really? I Oh wait, other way around. Blood is easier to soul cast than strawberries. Really? It's easier than strawberries? Why would that be the case, you think? Hello? I might be getting them oh. mixed up, so obviously I don't Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not 100% sure. I have to look it up. But I'm pretty sure she said strawberries is harder because it's organic and blood is one of the essences or something like that. Oh, man. I wish I could think it. Yeah. But anyways. But anyways, uh, that's not super important. Um, so Yasna concludes that the Voidbringers are the parchment. 
because the Voidbringers were listed as people as having what, a skin of fire and ash. Fire and ash being like, you know, red and orange for fire and then ash being black. And that's the skin of the parchment and the parshendi. So the Voidbringers that they fought, we we thought them to be based off the drawings, which again, we did discuss this, by the way, that the drawings could have been the scariest thing that they had at the time, which for them was a chasm fiend. But because so much history was lost, the Voidbringers... Yasna, and by the way, this is Yasna's conclusion, sh- conclusion, so she could still be wrong. But she concludes that um, it was, in fact, the parchment. So w- what do you think about that? See, I think, I think that there's some validity to that, but I think that it's something the parchment can do or reproduce is what the Voidbringers are. So I'm sorry, can you elaborate on that? I'm confused now. <laughs> so like maybe it's part of their magic system. Maybe they're the one that controlled the Voidbringers or brought them about. Um, okay, so you don't actually think that the Voidbringers are the parchment then? No, because like I, I, I personally think that there's different sects of parchment. And okay. that's, that's okay. just what I think. I think there's different sects of parchment. And I think that it just so happens that certain sects of parchment are the ones that brought about the void bringers in some way, shape or form. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Um, there is one thing that, uh, Yasna says, and it was a philosophical thing. So nothing, you know, super crazy. I, I do like that when Shalon questioned her, like, you know, why do you believe the void bringers and stuff like that? Uh, Yasna said something that really struck with me. They're like religion is about, uh, you know, stories from the science, basically, like explaining the unknown, whereas science is kind of like uh, explaining the unknown with like actual, I guess, concrete evidence and whatnot. I think I think it was like nature. She, she used the word nature in there. So okay. like nature is explaining like they use actual evidence in nature to explain the supernatural. So you're using nature to explain the supernatural instead of using supernatural to explain nature. Yeah, it was something like that. And it, it, it did. I, I like, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but anyways, that that's it for Shalon and Yasan, unless you had something else to throw in there. No, 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 no. Okay. So the next is, we're going to have to talk about Kaladin and Dalinar a little interchangeably, but let's go ahead and start with Kaladin. Kaladin continues his training for getting the people out of there, but then he goes on a walk and he runs into none other than Cosmere's greatest world jumper, Hoyd. Um, and oh my God, like this chapter, I forget what chapter it is. It might be 59, I think. It's beautiful. I loved it so freaking much. Uh, this is a chapter where uh, Kaladin meets Hoyd in the cave and uh, Hoyd starts telling him the story of the king and, and his ship. And The imagery used on this scene was awesome. Oh my god, it was beautiful. I, 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 I felt like 
I don't even know the and like an entranced little child, like sitting there, like wide eyed, just listening to like a a campfire story. It was so well done. I I was putting my I was shocked as I was reading this. By the way, I had goosebumps basically the entire time. The artwork that people have produced for this is fantastic. What was that guy's name that you sent me that does that artwork? Um, I don't know if it was him, the one I had sent you about, but the guy I did talk about before was Ari Ibarra. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But I don't know if he did that that scene that we're talking about right now. But regardless, um, Hoy does say that it may not be a true story. Like he does imply that, but the story was more there as a uh, as a lesson for Kaladin. But regardless, um, I did like the ending where that where uh, the lady is escaping with the king and her, uh, his soldiers, where. She says, don't you understand that we committed all those atrocities? We killed people. We, you know, burned this home. We did all that stuff. And we did it under the name of the king's orders. But if the king was dead the entire time, who do we blame for our atrocities? And I thought that was brilliant. I really so, thought that, that was brilliant. I, that, where do you, why do you think that's brilliant? I think it's brilliant because a lot of people... I. In my it's so the way I interpret it, in my opinion, is I, I I see this as a great example of you can't just hide behind, oh, well, those were my orders. You know, I was just following orders. You can't hide which behind Which you that hear because, a lot, actually. Which you do hear a lot, yes. And and the most famous one, of course, being the uh the Nazi soldiers that like people would say, Well, he was just following orders. And I don't deny that it would have been very difficult to, uh, as, as a soldier under Nazi Germany, or even not a soldier, just someone who had to defy, you know, an authoritarian regime like that is very difficult. But regardless, and and these two are, situations are not exactly the same, right? Like, um, they were tricked and whatnot, but they're similar enough to where I, I feel like there is a lesson to be drawn here. And so this... Oh man, what what did you think about it? Instead of me just constantly gushing about it nonstop. Um, I thought, I mean, I thought personally that it's it seems more realistic on like why people do the things that they do. It seems more. I, I'm trying to find a better word for realistic. It you seem more. Um, it seems more natural of a human response. Like we don't want to come to the truth that that is what really is happening, but. We need to like. I'm trying to figure that out how to say it. Like we need to like almost. Like I feel like it's something that's written a psychology book, like on like how things are governed and like kings and stuff like that. I feel like it would be in a book like that, and that's where you'd pick that out of. And I could be saying it wrong. And again, I, I can't. I might not be able to articulate it. But <laughs> it just it's <laughs> it seems like it was something I found in like a book about. Again, like a king, like something that happened yeah. in a king. Like maybe that's not with us. You know what I mean? Like right, right, right. And I, I think that just goes to how good the storytelling was by Hoyt and by extension Sanderson. It, it it was just really well done. And like you said, it sounded like it was a history book. Um, but anyways, uh, the lesson that it seemed like Hoyt was trying to teach Kaladin here, because again, we still don't have proper confirmation that it, this story was real or not by the way um 
But the lesson that I think Hoy wanted to teach Kaladin was that he has responsibility. And just because he's had like past failures does not mean that, you know, he can just leave people and that that will come in later. Um when Dalinar and Sadius have a new formed bond where okay, so real quick, uh Sadius kind of redeemed himself initially by that whole investigation saying that it was not Dalinar who did it. Which Dalinar was freaking out leading up to that situation because he was afraid that Dal- uh, that Sadius would accuse him of, you know, treason, essentially. And we did we did know, I mean, me and you both, we didn't play, you know, we didn't play into that. Like, we knew Sadius was going to do something wrong. We, we did, sure. but the, as, as when that happened, I was like, man, I guess I was wrong, right? Because the, the voice, what, that paired up with the fact that the voice was saying to trust him. At the time, I was like, "All right, well, I guess, I guess I was wrong." You know, Sadius is a good guy, but then, of course, you know, we find out later that Sadius um, baited Dalinar. And I'll be honest with you, his reasoning for betraying Dalinar, in my opinion, is kind of weak. He he sees that Dalinar has himself gotten weak and kind of lost sight of what his, in his opinion, is like the main goal, which is to make the Prashendi you know, punish a percentage for what right. they did. But it's like, okay, even if you thought that, if you had just got followed along, you guys could have dealt a very crushing blow to the percentage here in this battle. Like, even if you didn't agree with him, that's fine. But th- right. this just seemed very short-sighted and um, honestly a foolish move. I would not have played my hand if I was in Sadie's position and I was planning on betraying Delinar, I would not have betrayed him in this scenario, in my opinion. I feel like you could have betrayed him later. Um, is that is that just because if he got out of that situation, it would be like a, like a known betrayal? Like there'd be no doubt that it wasn't a not a betrayal. Um, that that as well as the fact that again, there there was more to gain by both of them winning in that battle than there was uh, otherwise. See, that's the way I thought about it. I thought. Why? Why would he do this now when possibly he can make look like like make him make it look like Dalinar's gone crazy? And exactly. then there's no, there's no if ands or buts about his role in it. I agree. So that this maybe we'll find out. I'm hoping and I'm sure we will find out more details on like how sad his things. But so far, I just think he's kind of dumb. And again, I think he's really overextended his hand here. But regardless. Dalinar, Adolin, and his their troops are fighting to the death, just surrounded by Prashendi. And Kaladin sees his opportunity to run away, but he can't. So he jumps in and he saves Dalinar. Uh, Dalinar, oh, by the way, Dalinar and Nav- Navani are like now an item. And then uh, Dalinar goes back and he promises that Bridge 4 will become part of Dalinar's army. But the, tr- during that during that fight scene, I no, no, I wanted ahead. to I wanted to add that in is that the some of the imagery that Sanderson uses in those in those some of those fight scenes with Kaladin like um, the men were explaining him that he looked like a storm a tempest you know what I mean I thought that was super awesome yeah um, oh yeah like he was um, ex- just explaining to them like he looked like lightning flashing and stuff like that. it was just it was really it was neat like, how it was he like used to yeah pretty much <laughs> from Demon Slayer for any of you guys wondering what I just said. Um, but, oh yeah, so D- Dalinar and Navani are now an item. D- uh, Navani and 
Well, Mosin Navani kind of confirmed that Dalinar's visions are true because the language that he was speaking was an ancient dead language. Um, but, Which is freaking crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, when they get back, Dalinar trades a shard blade for Kaladin's crew, which I ended I'm not saying I didn't this like is the this. Wrong. Uh, yeah, like this. this is, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, didn't, this I know. Was, I was this like, was no. Oh like in a real God. world situation, this is no. No, I mean, even if like he has to stand by his word, right? Like otherwise, Dalinar's people are gonna fight Sadius's people, and they've are, they've just come back from a really bloody battle where almost all of them were killed. So he doesn't have the numbers or the uh, the stamina to fight Sadius at this moment. So. This was a very noble thing to do, but is this don't make no mistake. I we are both of us, it seems, are very certain that this will come back and bite Dalinar in the back because it, it has to. Yeah, it has this to. This is so not good. Um, but regardless, uh, Dalinar has now gotten Kaladin as part of his own group, so he sees more visions and he he realizes that. And I, I believe this is a Stormfather, right? Or is this the Almighty? Because we don't have, we still don't have confirmation, by the way, that the Almighty and the Stormfather are the same people. No, we really don't. And I, I don't, dude, I really don't think we're gonna know that until like the very end. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so regardless, the guy who's been who he's been talking to, who keeps saying unite them, unite them, and had even said trust him, can't actually hear Delinar. And this was one of the biggest plot twists ever because this entire time we, the readers, we that's why we fell for Sadius's ploy. Because me and you were suspicious of Sadius, but at me especially when he uh, vindicated Dalinar publicly by saying, no, he's not the one who's behind the uh, saddle cut. When he confirmed that, I was like, oh, okay, I guess Sadius is a good guy. Um, and that it was that paired up with the previous vision of the this voice telling him to trust Sadius. Um but regardless, it it's it's a recording. It's like a recording, basically. Um and he's telling Which is like that has gotta be like the biggest punch to Donar's face. Like seriously, like it's that's gotta be terrible that's just oh you're just a recording. Yeah. I've I've been going a little crazy trying to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um uh, so The, so he basically says like odium is coming if i remember correctly yeah yeah, yeah. odium reigns i know he said odium, odium reigns before odium reigns, odium reigns. yeah oh, oh that man. was so yeah that in the it, again the graphic audio and i'm sure the audiobook as well it was pretty amazing i mean i don't know every time i hear his voice i went back and listened to that um Child of Ten of Vest, Child of Honor. I was like, oh, dude, that was actually really freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, Child of Ten of Vest, Child of Honor. That is good. Um, but regardless, the Everstorm. There's a lot. There's a lot of name drops, by the way. So if we're just sound like we're all over the place. It's because we literally are. It feels like we've been caught in a high storm. Um, Ouch. Yeah, it's kind of painful. And. 
like and, and and this division shows him Kolinar getting absolutely destroyed by this wave of black. It's not even a storm, it's just a wave of black, like a void almost. Um like a void bringer. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. Wow. Um, but anyways, uh there is one thing that we forgot to mention about Shallan's thing. The ghost bloods. Um we did talk about right that um Shallan's father was a member of some society. We we did talk about like, you know, who's ascending, maybe wanted to become a high prince, so maybe he's the one behind Gavilar's death. Regardless, him, Kabsal, Shallan's uh family's like steward or their servant was also a member of the secret society. Um right. and which leads us directly into uh, Teravangian, because Zeth is now here to kill Teravangian, the nice, sweet old man king of Harbranth. Except you said Harbranth, 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 Harbranth. Trying to sound cultured here, and it turns out he is not the sweet old uncle, the sweet old grandfather king of of this uh, nice. Uh, what is it like? It's a it, Harvan seems like a like a scholarly town. Yeah, scholarly. scholarly yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not, and it seems that or not seems it is confirmed that he is actually a bad guy. And I really fell for this. I did not see this coming at all. By the way, um, I don't think I did either. To be honest with you, yeah. So he's behind all the murders, and I think some of the epigraphs where they show where it writes down what the words before some people died were saying um those are being recorded by his physicians in that one center um so there's that there's also one more thing regarding shallan she so, killed so her why dad, do you why do you think yeah well that why do you think Teravangian is actually you know why do you think he's wanting to figure out what they're saying is it to prevent it or is I he think trying to make it happen. This almost. is a group I think that worships odium, is my opinion. The Ghostbloods, if they're they're against the Almighty, I think they're um they work for I think I believe the Ghostbloods work for Tenevest. In the similarly fashion that the I don't remember what the group is called from Mistborn Era 2, that the set or the sect, I forget, that they're working for Trell. Or they think they're working for trial or whatever. They worship trial or something like that. Okay, so you think it's similar to that situation? I, I believe so, yeah. So what if it's the same group? That would blow my freaking mind, but I, I could totally see it. Like you could see it? You said you could see it? Yeah, I could see it. Okay. For sure. Um, But it seems that the Almighty, that this God, is dead. Which is not a great thing. Which leads us to our epilogue. You said that God is dead. Now, isn't there a book? You cut off again. Like, do you think there's a there's a book or a movie about that, right? What? God is dead. I mean, there's a lot of books and movies about that. That's true. That's <laughs> true. No, but I'm like pretty sure there's a movie called "The God Is Dead," and it's oh. a, I think it's is it a horror? No, I don't know. Never I can't remember. remember. But regardless, um, this epilogue was pretty it honestly scared me because it's like you know there's a storm happening 
and Hoyt is messing with these guys. And he's asking them, like, you know, what do we cherish most? And it's being timely, essentially, was the lesson of that little spiel. And in I, I walks, don't understand. I don't understand why he said it, but I think you. Yeah, I think he was involved or sorry, involved. He, he knew that uh, Talon was coming. Um, and he's just trying to be funny because Hoyd's like, you know, he's smart with words. So, so this this fellow that came, do you, where is he from? He's in he's one of the Knights Radiance, right? But oh, so sorry, he's one of the Heralds actually, not just a Knights Radiant. He's this, he's that. If you go back to the prelude, when we saw yes, Kalak yes. and Jezrean and whatnot, Talon was the one that had said um, that oh the nine nine yeah exactly that nine had abandoned the post and the last one that didn't was Talon. Um, so, so my thing is, is, so this is a flashback and this is what got me is off it? guard. So it's, is, is it, it a flashback? flashback? Is it That's what flashback? I'm saying. Is it a flashback? I don't think it is. I think it's happening at that moment. So that <clears throat> means this guy's immortal. Yeah. That means he's 10,000 plus years old or however. But how is he, how is he still there? Because he just died right in front of Hoy, didn't he? No, I don't think he died. I think he just, he stumbles in and I'm sure he's a little hurt, but, um, Yeah, but it's Talon. Talonel. He has a long name. Um, you should be able to get that one. <laughs> yeah. But no, this was... Oh, man. Um, th- this sets up... So, like, I, so when I finished this book, I was like, okay, picking up the next book right away. And unfortunately, I just haven't found much time to really hit the ground running with that one. But I was very much into it. There is a couple. Of oh things yeah, I didn't want. I'm into the second book now. I'm yeah. into it. So there's... you you did it wrong by saying I could read, and I was like, oh man, this is game over. But anyway, yeah. Um. So there's a couple of things I didn't want to touch on as far as quotes go. In chapter 52, Dalinar says that I think one of the heralds comes to me and commands me to unite the high princes of Alakthar. This is actually, and I caught on this right away. In my opinion. Uh, Dalinar is misrepresenting what the voice is saying. Um, we already know that the voice was not talking about Sadius because, which brings up another point, which, who was he talking about when he said, trust him, trust who is he talking about town? I don't know. He could be now when I, when I originally, when he thought, when the voice said, unite them, I thought it meant all of the nations on Roshar. Right, right. And that's my point, is that here he says, oh, he wants me to unite the high princes of Alethkar. I'm like, no, he never said that. He just said unite them. You're thinking he's talking about just Alethkar, the kingdom of Alethkar, but there's several other kingdoms you got to unite. And if this, uh, the the Everstorm is as scary as it seems, you're going to need more than just one kingdom. You're going to need all the kingdoms. Um, and so it seems that the 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 goal is to. Uh, I think the goal at this point is going to be um, bring back the radiance. I think that's the only, the only and, way forward. And if he's going to bring back the knight's radiant, that means that he's going to have to avidly be looking for other people that have bonded with Sprint, pretty much, because that's what I've gotten from this. The knight's radiance were the ones that bonded with Sprint. Because that's what Caliban did. How? I, I don't know. I mean, why would a Spren be talking to Kaladin? And why would Spren be talking to certain people? 
Like, it just seems out of place completely. And, like, my thought process is when I finished the book, it was Spren were the reason Knight's Radiance were, writes Nate, you know, in the Knight's Radiance. I I feel like, because if you look at it, like, that's how the Knight's Radiance got their powers. It has to be. I mean, there's no other, there's no other information in the book that give us anything to contradict that. Right. So that means that Dalinar's going to have to look for people that are that could talk to sprint pretty much yes and we also get sorry one more thing that sill is not a wind sprint she is an honor sprint so i wanted to throw that in there that's another big thing that yeah came up we did not talk enough i, I just briefly mentioned it that shallan killed her father and that was the secret that she needed to get back into Shadesmar intentionally um so that's crazy uh, i'm sure that we're gonna figure out more about that yeah, I wish, I wish they would have given us more backstory right away on that. Yeah. Uh, there is one... Um, uh, there's a couple of more quotes. One is when Adeline and Navani and Dalinar are in her room talking, and it turns out that Adeline... Adeline? Yeah, Adeline and Navani are very close. Like, um, he really loves his aunt and whatnot. And right. Adeline is smiling as he... Um, as he's leaving, he's like smiling widely. And then Dalinar found himself smiling as well. I just, n- nothing crazy in the scene. I just found that scene kind of cute. Next thing, it was in chapter 54. Money is behind every war, Aunak continued. Religion is but an excuse or perhaps a justification. This particular quote, I cannot tell you how much I loved. Um, Low key, it's one of my favorite quotes out of any book I've ever read. And it's because I've been saying this for a long, long time now. And at the risk of bringing religion and politics and crap like that into a podcast like this, um, I just think that this was a very, very good line to put in because at the heart of every conflict, uh, large scale conflict, it, it is money and power. Uh, they'll, they'll use religion as an excuse to fool the masses, sure. But it, it as far as the leaders and the politicians go, it is money and power. Um, and unlike Sanderson says, it's it's an excuse. Religion they use it as an excuse or even a justification, but that's not the end goal. That's not their primary reason. Right. Right. So I love this quote. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I I feel like it. Um... I feel like in Sanderson's novels, especially some that have a more religious aspect to it, I feel like he presents these ideas in a fair manner. Yeah. And he's never actually striking out at a certain certain anything. It's just more of a generalized blanket. Everybody kind of knows that. He's just able to write it into the book and say it nicely almost. Right. Um there is one more line, and one, one more line. There's a really big line that I want to go over, and it's by Hoyd when he's talking to Kaladin, and he says, "The purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, but to give you questions to think upon." Too often we forget that. I liked that one. That was a good lot. one. That mm-hmm. was such a good line, and he's dropping these quotes like left and right, and I'm just like, "Man, please." This is, please, just keep uh, keep throwing these philosophical quotes at me because um, Jordan knows this. I'm not very big in philosophy. Like, I, I, it's not like I don't like the subject. I just have sub- other subjects that I find more exciting for me to, you know, read up on and research on. 
But stuff like this, I just love. Uh, the purpose of a story is not to tell you how to think, but to give you a question to think upon. Uh, and I, the, the way I interpret that is that every story, people are going to interpret it differently based off their backgrounds and their culture and the, the way that they think. So this is just, uh, you know, a more representation of that. Um, and you almost you almost can familiar familiarize yourself with it because it's you know it's close to. You know, it's something that you think about occasionally. So it's like a, he's more like he's just it's more attractive to the reader. I'm trying to think. He's like bonding with the reader, making right. some of these quotes. Right. Um, so next quote is something that we had you had talked about with the uh, spren bonding with the individuals, which I think was a key to the nice radiance like power, I guess. Um Sil said, don't be so risky. If you die, I go stupid again, you know? This is very much foreshadowing, um, and it kind of explains how Sil was able to talk to, uh, just talk in general. Uh, I think Kaladin is just, a, if we say that Spren in general are a manifestation of, like, a lot of feeling or a lot of a certain thing, like, you know, rock Spren, fire Spren, rot Spren, and then on top of that, feelings like anger, creativity, spren, glory, spren. So if that's the thing, and Kaladin must have had a lot of honor that just manifested into Sil. So and, and essentially turned Kaladin into, like you had said, a one of the nice radiant. And so that meaning that means that like what happened for the bond between the spren and the people? Like why did uh, it stop? No, I yeah, that's a good that and that's. That's a question for sure. Moving forward. Um, the next one was on chapter 68. This is when Dalinar and this is when that whole fight is happening between the bridge crews and the Prashendi and Dalinar's army. When he's fighting the Prashendi Shardbearer, which I believe is female, by the way. They've hinted at that heavily. Um, she says, it is you, the Prashendi bear, uh, Shardbearer said. I have found you at last. I am willing to bet that this Prashendi Shardbearer has talked to Gavilar. And absolutely. And I think Gavilar and Dalinar look similarly enough. And Gavilar had, I'm guessing, talked about his brother. And that's who she's been looking for for a while. Now, why is she looking for him? I don't know. But I, I'm willing to bet a lot of money that she's the one, she talked to Gavilar. Um, it almost has to be to the point that she is trying to fix possibly what, she, what her people... Yeah. You know, didn't really mean to mess up in the first place, but right. it happened. Yeah, yeah. And maybe Gavilar was trying to fix what was broken within his people, right? Bring the two leaders from the separate yep. uh, civilizations Absolutely. together who are trying to further their own people and, you know, get killed for it. Um, so the last thing that I wanted to touch on, actually, there's two more things, but this is kind of a funnier thing. Uh, Dalinar beating the crap out of Elokar was one of my favorite things in the entire book. That little runt really needed a good kick in the back. Oh my god, he beat the absolute crap out of Elokar, and I loved every second of it. Um, he was like, he was pretty much like, if I wanted to kill you, I'll yeah, do it oh, right I now. Do, yeah, I could do it right now. And then I, there was one moment where he said, like, so you're not gonna kill me, Storms? No, I love you like a son, boy. You have very odd paternal instincts. I thought that line was so funny, and I loved it so much. But at this point. Dalinar essentially forces Elokar, hey, you're going to make me the high prince of war, which is going to cause a lot of conflict within 
Alucard's like, like, you know, uh, high princes, but he's going to have to deal with it because Alucard faked that, that saddle cut himself. So that's yeah, not which great, is like, yeah, that, that doesn't proffer much trust between uncle and nephew. Right. Right. And that's, and he wanted to prove that, there was people out to get him, which there is, but it's like there's got to be a better way than doing that. But anyway, oh, absolutely. Um, last thing I want to touch on before we finish off this beautiful book, there is a TikToker by the name of the Sixth Scholar. You guys should go give him a follow. He loves Cosmere, all things Cosmere. He has great content. Um, and he talked a little bit about the shattering of Adonalsium. Um, and this is not a spoiler uh but he explains it a bit more there were 16 people that shattered at an who was the god of i guess everything and then um after that 16 took parts of like shards of at for themselves and ascended to shardhood and we know like you know at leras became preservation yeah Laracium and at at became ruin laras became preservation and then you know different people became different things uh the 17th man was hoid so i mean i mean the problem is, is that he must have not taken some sort of power or he has the power he just never yeah there's something there that he's the key to doing something yeah but he may not have the power of the shards but it seems like he has the powers of every everything um from every you know right every right. cosmere planet essentially so that just a little bit of a background for you guys moving forward um next time we if we do the book chapters we'll be starting i can't believe i'm saying this i'm just so excited uh, uh, Words of Radiance, and we'll cover up to chapter five. Let's go ahead and start that, and then we can oh, yeah. see how we do from there. But regardless, next week we'll be covering uh, the next two episodes, so tonight's episodes, well, I guess tonight from the day I'm recording this, um, episode of House of Dragon, and then the next week's episode of House of Dragon. So two episodes again, as usual. And then next time we cover book chapters up to chapter five of the words of radiance. Thank you all for listening. I hope, I hope we didn't miss anything too relevant, but I'm pretty sure we got a lot of the major plot points, a lot yeah, of the character yeah. plot points. Um, if we miss anything, really apologize. It's, it's a big book. We covered like, I think over 20 chapters in one seating. So we're going to miss um, quite a few things, but again, I think, uh, a lot of the overtly relevant plot points I think we touched up on. So, until next time, thank you, everyone. See you.